0: Hello, everybody, and welcome. Today is November 3rd, 2014, and that's the day slated for Linux in the Shack episode number 135, and that's what we're doing right now. So, welcome in. It's good to see and hear and talk to all of you again. Uh, we have Cheryl with us tonight. Hello. Hello. And we also have, um, after his
1: very long nap... Pete, V2XPL. Good evening, Pete. Good day, a Yeah, I know, I was absent last week. I fell asleep, I admit it. I'm not uh, into the routine of the bi-weekly show again, so uh, what can I say?
0: Anyway, we should probably move into our first segment, which, as uh, you may recall, is about amateur radio topics. Light topics, fun topics, exciting topics. And this topic is Pete's topic, so Pete, take it away.
1: Yeah, well, I thought we'd start off with a bang, no pun intended, but uh, the tagline is uh, Satellites Carrying Amateur Radio Payloads Lost in Antares Explosion. Uh, So, starting off with a bang, the RACE and GOMEX-2 CubeSats were among more than two dozen satellites lost in an unmanned orbital space science Antares 130 vehicle, which exploded spectacularly shortly after launch on 2222 UTC just this past Tuesday. I didn't even hear about this. You figured that a spacecraft explodes after takeoff. You would hear about it, but nope. Uh, so this thing took off uh, from the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport on Wallops Island in the Vir- on Virginia's eastern slope. Uh, both satellite packages carried amateur radio payloads, so that's kind of a shame. Uh, the rocket exploded uh, roughly six seconds after launch, sending a huge ball of fire hurtling towards the ground. Uh set a massive fire at the uh, NASA launch site. Yeah, I can imagine. So RACE, which stands for Radiometer Atmospheric CubeSat Experiment... Uh, which is also called Race CubeSat, was a joint project between the Texas Spacecraft Laboratory, the TSL, and the University of uh, Texas, Austin, and uh, NASA's uh, JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So this was built by a 30-student team, carried a 183 gigahertz radiometer, a new science instrument designed by JPL. Spacecraft was equipped to transmit using GMSK at 38.4K, and CW telemetry, on a download fre- or, sorry, a downlink frequency of uh, th- 437.525 megahertz. let me take the potato out of my mouth here. So uh, the other uh, half of this was the uh, 2U, uh, what I call GomX, MX 2 CubeSat, that was intended to test uh, a deorbit system designed by uh, let's see, Aalborg University in Denmark. Carl Klaus Lawrence, OZ2KK, is listed as the responsible operator on International Amateur Radio Union Frequency Coordination Documents. So the amateur radio payload uh, proposed using a 9.6k MSK data downlink on 437-250. So uh, a lot of uh, potential uh, ham radio toys there which uh, just aren't going to make it. Uh, so also on board was an optical communications experiment from the National University of Singapore. So this was indeed an international mission. The mission also aimed to flight qualify a new high-speed UH, UHF transceiver and SDR receiver built by an Arborg. University team. So the link is uh, in the show notes, or will be in the show notes. Uh, this came from arrl dot org, the arrl's nude site, nude news site. Again, hand removing removing <laughs> the potato from my mouth.
0: See what happens when you eat a coffee crisp right before you go I on know, the air.
1: I know it's a, it's a curse. I tell you.
2: <laughs> yeah, since you missed the the whole explosion thing, I was watching on the news after it happened. People were fussing at NASA, basically, because apparently the rockets that they were using were ones that they had obtained, I believe, from the Soviet Union. They had been used in the past or something. these, okay.
0: They weren't obtained res- from the Soviet Union. They were taken from a Soviet design and then retooled into the Antares rocket.
2: Oh, well, I, I gathered from what they were saying on, I think it was NBC News, that they had been used in the past and were, you know, refurbished.
0: No, they're a, apparently Soviet tech that was rebuilt by American gotcha. Gotcha. and other scientists to create the Antares rocket. It wasn't like World War II tech they were throwing all this junk on top of. Which is good. Yeah, that's good. If you watch The,
2: the Russians sent out a rocket at the same time or like the next day using the same, yeah, same rocket, they made it, it. That's fine.
0: Yep. <laughs> that's <laughs> of fine. course. Of course. <laughs> There's there's a use for old technology. Anyone who's been a ham radio operator for any time at all knows exactly how good old tech can be.
1: But not not when you're going into space, though.
0: No, generally not. Someone asked a question in a what was it? Popular Science magazine, positing if you could build a wooden rocket. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, the you answer probably
1: could if you put enough heat shields around it.
0: Yeah, the answer by the way was yes, with many caveats. Uh, that's too bad for uh, for all of the payload. That was on that rocket, because there was quite a bit of it, uh, including stuff that was supposed to go to the ISS. Bad news all around for uh, everything that burst into flame. At least it wasn't people this time.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's the the good thing. Nobody was hurt. uh, Nobody on the ground. Nobody in the spaceship. It was an unmanned spaceship, which is a good thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's there's already quite a few uh, opportunities for those who want to play uh, ham radio in space. But the more the merrier. So uh, not to mention the fact that a bunch of this stuff was designed by students. So that's just got to be a drag.
0: Well, they got to see it fly for six seconds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, six seconds of glory.
0: That's six sec- more than most of us get. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true.
0: This next story is one I found, and it's a tiny little bit dated now. But I thought it was interesting, and we haven't talked about it before. The title on it of my own creation is Amateur Radio Operators Get Their Own Day. Uh, Amateur radio operators, they help during times of need, including emergencies and severe weather, but they also like to have fun. Do we like to have fun? Yes, we
1: like to have fun. Absolutely.
0: Amateur radio is not just a day-to-day interest for some, but also used during and to prepare for emergencies. Because of the importance, the city of Paris, Texas, has declared October 18th as Ham Radio Day. Cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Paris Mayor Matt Frierson said, Well, I think it is a good opportunity for ham radio operators to have a day of recognition in the sense that they provide a very valuable service and not only enjoy, but can be a benefit to any community. Uh, This year, we wanted to make the city and the community even more aware of the hobby, what's going on, and the service the hams can provide in the event of a disaster. Uh, That was said by Maine trading company owner Richard Lenoir, uh, who I assume probably lives in Paris.
1: Uh, I'm just a guess. (laughs) Yeah, Just a guess. Uh, It could be Lenore, and he could be uh, from... From Paris. New
0: Orleans. After hearing the news of the proclamation, the National Association for Amateur Radio responded with excitement, saying, quote, As the National Association of Amateur Radio, one of our goals is to help communities realize what a valuable resource amateur radio is. So that's cool. Good on you. Paris, Mm -hmm. Texas. I guess some good stuff does come out of Texas.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: There's, uh, there's Paris, Texas, and National Ham Radio Day, and Richard. Uh, there's two things <laughs> I can... There you go. <laughs>
1: so. And whiskey.
0: Uh, whiskey? Where'd no, it... that would be from Tennessee. Yes, it would. Right next door. There's probably whiskey made in Texas. And
1: drive-through uh, alcohol liquor location places. Oh, you couldn't
0: find that, that almost anywhere. In Texas?
1: Drive through liquor commissions or liquor, what do you call them? We call them liquor commissions here.
0: Oh, I think most places were drive through, you know, through most of the 70s until people wised up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, then it went underground and then it resurfaced in Texas. All right, there you go. Yeah. And there's a bit of history that you won't find in any book because it's not real. Uh,
2: <laughs> there's actually a place in Dallas that has, it's like a drive through daiquiri stand not far from downtown. I don't know if. <laughs> still there, but it, it was a couple years ago when Russ and I were just out cruising downtown one day.
0: And the sad thing is, we didn't get any daiquiris. No, that's what, very true. Did sure.
1: that, we didn't stop. Taco?
0: No, we didn't stop. We didn't get anything. Okay. We just kind of went, oh look, a drive through dairy stand, or daiquiri stand, and then went, okay, so much for that. Anyway, that's all we have for the ham radio topics, or, you know, ham radio topics by themselves tonight. But we do have some Linux topics. Uh, the first couple are... About some vulnerabilities in Linux, and everybody should know about vulnerabilities. we talked about the shell shock vulnerability in bash uh, a couple episodes ago, so hope everybody 's passed past patched their bash shells at this point. If you haven 't, I now own your computers, so if you 're seeing weird behavior, you can uh, email me. Uh, no, please don 't do that. Uh, <laughs> So there's a couple articles that I found. Um, you know, there's lots of vulnerabilities and updates and things you should be doing, but there are a couple pretty serious ones. The first one is in the Ubuntu 14.10 kernel, uh, the version of the kernel that comes out with uh, 14.10, which is uh, the latest release, actually, of Ubuntu, came out back in October. There are quite a few vulnerabilities in the Ubuntu kernel, most of them dealing with KVM, the virtual machine environments. Uh, but there are some other ones that involve different race conditions and stuff like that, which can actually uh, severely adversely affect your computer. So if you happen to be running Ubuntu 4. 14.10, uh, you should definitely do your update and disk upgrade so you can uh, get the latest kernel. And then for those of uh, you running Debian, like I do, there is a, an even more serious vulnerability in WGET. WGET is an application that I use all the time because it's a, kind of like an FTP client, but it just allows you to download things off the internet directly. You know, you just WGET a URL and it will download stuff. Well, that's very cool, but apparently there's a symlink-based vulnerability in WGET where you ca- a remote attacker can have a compromised FTP or HTTP server. You can wget a URL and it can redirect to something else and arbitrarily write files to your computer. For those of you who are security conscious, you know that anytime you hear the words arbitrary and file writing, you know uh, it's <laughs> very bad news for you. So uh, definitely worth upgrading your Debian distribution. Uh, this apparently affects the Wheezy... Distribution, uh, which is stable, uh, and probably uh, later versions as well. So, if you're running anything from Wheezy on up, uh, you definitely should upgrade. And there was a simultaneous note about the IceDove browser. Apparently, there are many vulnerabilities in IceDove as well for those same Debian distributions. Do your update and your dist upgrade, and make sure you get all the patches you need for those, because. You don't want your system hacked. We don't want you to have your systems hacked.
1: seems to me that uh, hearing about more and more vulnerabilities as uh, Linux gains more popularity in the world.
0: Well, there have always been Linux vulnerabilities, but they're not the... Tri- is that you or is that me?
1: That's uh, me. Sorry. No.
0: Turn off your damn I'm Facebook. Just, Stop Facebooking. I no, it's
1: not Facebook. It's like I've... I've- I have everything running right now. So I'm, I'm just, I can't even keep track of them myself. I'm like, which one was that now? <laughs> it's a new system here. I have to get used to all the beeps and boops. Sorry. Carry It's uh, okay. There have
0: always been lots of vulnerabilities, but they're not vulnerabilities in the traditional sense, like stuff that you download via an email worm that starts your computer being a botnet and stuff like that. It's more like arbitrary file rights and being able to egg drop your machines and. Do nasty things like that, those kind of vulnerabilities have been around for Linux for quite some time uh they 're just not as prevalent as you know Windows vulnerabilities, but anyway it's just a note to uh, let you know that even though you're running Linux, you need to keep your systems updated and patched because bad things can happen
1: to good people
0: Bad things happen to good people that's very true all the time, and we don't want it, we don't want you to be one of those no. So uh, the last thing I had was I've been seeing many articles again, and I, I was actually going through our archive, and I was looking back around January and February of this year, and I was we had mentioned um, SystemD and init systems for Linux. Init systems are basically scripts or utilities or applications that literally boot your system up once you're past the kernel phase. You know, the kernel is there to... Set up your hardware and get your computer in sync basically. And then, once you need to start loading applications to boot your services, your X Windows environment, and all that stuff, that actually uses an init system. Now, Debian has been in a fight, an infight, amongst its uh, inner circles, trying to decide what they're going to do about the init system. They've always been a Sys5 init system. And then they talked about Upstart and System-D and stuff like that. And the war rages on. However, there was apparently a formal decision a few months ago where Debian decided to switch from Sys5 in it to System-D. They made that switch. And if you are going from Debian Wheezy, Debian 7, to Debian Testing, which is Jesse now, Debian Jesse now uses System-D. Now, there's a couple of practical concerns about that. The first of which is that when I upgraded from Wheezy to Jesse, everything broke in a horrible, terrible, awful way. I would recommend not doing that. If you actually want to go through the testing upgrade, I would just do a nuke and pave type upgrade where you wipe everything out and start over. If you try and go from Sys5 to System D, you have really bad problems. Apart from that, there's a whole underground culture of people bickering back and forth about system d whether it's good whether it's bad what's good about it what's bad about it blah, blah 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 i don't know if i have chosen a side in this war although having been in the sys5 init world for umpteen years now i like sys5 in it it works just fine yes system d is faster but it's not to me faster enough to make it worth it but there is so much arguing and infighting going on about this whole thing that it's actually kind of amusing and fun to read about. I've got a couple of articles that link to other articles that I'm going to put in the show notes. And if you're interested to know about what's going on in this whole init system war, you might want to check these things out. Because I, I actually thought it was a fun read because usually these guys who write about this stuff just are totally amused about the whole situation because... You know, it's a very black and white issue. You know, system D sucks. System D is awesome. Sys5 in it sucks. Sys5 in it's awesome. Upstart is the best thing ever. So on and so forth.
1: You know, everybody's got an opinion, which is great. That's very true.
0: This to me, it's like, I'm not going to come down on one side or the other on this, but I just wanted to warn people that if they're upgrading their Debian distributions from one that uses Sys5 to one that uses system D, be careful about it because every time I've done it so far, it's broken things really badly to the point where the systems just won't boot be warned about that. And if you're interested to just be amused sometime and you have 20 or 30 minutes to kill just to read about the whole war, I mean, there's all this stuff on Reddit. There's a couple of links that we'll link to and stuff like that. And lots of articles about it, but it's just a lot of fun. So I hope everyone will uh, get their Linux on and go check it out and, Maybe formulate some kind of opinion about whether they like Sys5 in it, whether they like System D, or whether they just don't really care and hope that their system boots up when they press the power button. That's what most people want. I think that's what most people want, too. That's all I had to say about that. That was probably more than I really needed to say about that. There it is.
1: But it was interesting.
0: Ubuntu 14.10 is utopic unicorn.
1: Okay, I was looking for it. For some reason, I couldn't find it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Jay Lindsay in the chat room who provided that information. So thank you, Jay Lindsay. Uh, Symbola says, I was so tired of Linux and having to constantly patch, I upgraded to Windows XP.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's getting bad when it's gotten to that point. Yep.
0: He says no more patching, which is entirely true. Not only is there no more patching, you cannot patch it even if you want to. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know. XP is stable if it's uh, set up right.
0: Uh, Kleewick apparently is going to go straight back to FreeBSD and the early BSDs where every init Script is just written run straight out of etcrc.local, uh, hand-coded. That's an option, too, I suppose. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention is, is this whole war has actually generated the idea that some people want to fork Debian just to get rid of SystemD. That is not going to happen, but uh, it's an interesting idea. It'd be interesting to to fork Debian, the core distribution for one, well, some people think a little problem, some people think, Really big-ass problem. That is what it is, I guess. We're moving into segment three, which is Linux in the Ham Shack, which is what this show is all about. Yay. And the first thing I had was that uh, back in uh, early August, the application that we all know as SVX Link, which is a native Echo Link application, had version 14.08 released. Uh, he has gone to, apparently, an Ubuntu-style release naming convention uh the 14.08 referencing august of 2014 what's interesting about this is that he's been actively developing it you know for the last many months but he's not working on like major revs and stuff like that he's actually working on minor fixes fixing stuff that's like broken niggling problems and cool. dealing with the stuff oh, yeah. that I guess has been sort of lingering around for a while and trying to take care of all the little problems before going on to adding features and stuff like that. So that's very cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and not typical. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> but atypical,
0: but it's pr- he's probably uh, been bombarded with little problems, so maybe that's why he decided to do it. Um, but you can uh, go to the, the URL, which is github.com slash sm0svx slash svxlink slash releases, and that link, of course, will be in the show notes. And you can find out all of the changes that have been made to SVX Link between the 13-something release and the 1408 release, which are many. And some of them are actually kind of cool. But unless you're unless you're really into SVX Link and Echo Link, you probably don't care about that, so I'll let you go read those on your own. One of the major changes that has taken place is he has changed the build system from using regular make to CMake. Because apparently this is done in C++, I believe, is how it's built. So he hasn't changed the entire build system. The information on how you build it now is built into the install file. All the information is there. Apparently the old way to build it still exists. But if the CMake way works better going forward, the old way is going to be removed. If you were comfortable with building SVX Link the old way, you probably want to make yourself comfortable with how to build it the new way because it sounds like the old way is going to become the Dodo way. He also says there's a known larger problem left, which is that the Echolink module may all of a sudden stop talking to Echolink, causing it to go offline until you restart SVX Link. He hasn't actually had a chance to fix that problem, but apparently is working on it. So I already gave you the link to where you can find the information on all of the changes that have been made between the two releases of SVX Link. And I will say that it's getting a little better uh, to use svxlink. It's not a point and click install yet, you know, like echo link or running the windows echo link under wine is. Um, I'm really hoping he'll start packaging up and creating an installer or a dev package or, or, you know, RPM files or whatever for svxlink. But until that happens, it's still a download the source and build, but it's pretty straightforward. You know, I wouldn't want anyone to be afraid of it. Just know that it's not packaged yet, but maybe soon we'll see. If nothing else, you should support SBX. Link if you're an EchoLink user, because it is a it's an excellent app. Uh, it's built on QTEL for the client. SBX Link is for the server side. If you have a link or repeater node, and it does work really well. It just takes a little bit of effort. Uh, Mike has a philosophical question. We'll get to that later on.
1: Philosophy is in segments. That's right.
0: <laughs> the one we don't get to. yeah no philosophy here no we'll get to philosophy after the break all right and the last thing i had on uh, linux in the ham shack for this round was all star link which is kind of like echolink it's something that came up i think you know there was d star and d star is proprietary and then there's echolink and echolink is you know more or less proprietary so someone came up with all star node or all star link which is another, you know, VOIP based ham radio technology. And my question to the people listening to this, and by all means, send email, tweet us, comment on this episode, send us a voicemail, whatever. And also, if you're in the chat room, feel free to answer this question. Do you or does anyone or do it, anyone you know use All Star Link? I think it was mentioned to me a year ago or maybe even longer ago than that as an alternative to Echo Link. You can use Asterisk with it. For VOIP technology, you can have a non-HAM radio connected node. You can have ham radio connected nodes. It works very much like Echolink, which is a great technology. And there's even a CentOS-based distribution built around All Star But does anyone use it? I don't know anyone who uses
1: it. Well, neither do I, actually. I've looked to
0: see like what nodes are connected. I've actually gone onto allstarlink.org and registered with the site and checked to see how many nodes are available. And there's lots of them. I mean, if you go look at the list of connected nodes, it's like Echolink. There's tons and tons and tons of them, but I don't even, I don't even hear anyone talk about it.
1: Do they cross over? You would think
0: Uh, there is some interaction between Echolink and All Star Link, and I'm not sure how much interaction there is. I do know that if you have an Echolink node, you know, if you're registered with Echolink and you have an Echolink number, you can register that number with All Star Link but I don't know what that registration actually does for you. I don't know if it actually creates some integration between the two or if it's just a reference where if you're connected to an all-star link node, it will point you to an echo link node. I don't know if you can actually communicate between the two. I I don't really know anything about that. And it's something I would
1: think once you're connected, I mean, it's all VOIP, so there should be no problems. You would think, but then the whole thing is
0: based on systems that you know, I'm not really privy to because there are servers generally involved where you have to register with a server to let other servers know that your node is online and stuff right, like that. of course. I don't know if, you know, you can talk between the two systems. I don't know how it's programmed or anything like that. The people who have mentioned All Starlink to me say it's better than Echolink because I guess it's less proprietary and, you know, just better. There's arguments both ways, I'm sure, but... I'm curious to know if anyone uses this thing. And if you do, how you use it? Did you do it on the distribution you already use? Did you download their distribution, the CentOS based one? You know, I don't have answers to these questions, but I'm trying to figure out if it's worth my time and worth your time to investigate this and to go forward and talk about it more as a technology that maybe we can all benefit from. But I don't really know. I'm hoping someone can answer that question and give me some insight. And I don't hear anything in the chat room, so I think it's uh, major cricket time as far as uh, our live listeners. Oh, well,
1: nobody knows what you're talking about. So <laughs> that's right. No one's ever say. heard of this thing. <laughs> no one's heard of this thing. so yeah. What are you going to say about it? Well, I guess I that's the answer, right? Yeah, we're done. I mean, I've heard, I've heard the, um, I've heard the name, but I haven't investigated it, and I don't know anyone who uses it. Uh, EchoLink is just so out there, easy to get, easy to use. Well, I hope
0: that our many listeners who are listening to this will respond in some way and let us know what you know about All-Star Link, what you think about it, if you've tried it, you know, do you like it? Either way, whether you know about it or not, if this is something you're interested in and would like to know more about it, I'm more than willing to do the research, um, but I don't want to do it if no one cares. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if nothing else, just let us know if you care. Because if you care, even if you don't know anything about it, I'll go investigate it for you and we'll talk about it. There it is, allstarlink.net. Oh, Sorry, allstarlink.org, O R G, uh, if you want to find out more about Allstarlink, if you don't know about it already. And uh, our website, LHSpodcast.info, if you want to send us information, please do that. And that's all I got. That's all I got before the music. I want to hear music. I want to hear
1: music. I do want to hear music. Oh, you do
0: want to hear music. Oh, okay. Well, it's good because you're going to hear music. At least I hope you're going to hear music because we had problems with it last week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I wasn't there, so that's No, uh,
0: I know. This piece of music was recommended to us by a listener. Donovan Bali at Donovan Bali on Twitter. He actually recommended several pieces of music and uh, I have yet to listen to them all to figure out if we're going to play all of them. But anything that makes less work for me, I consider good. (laughs) So uh, this was actually his first suggestion. And it's kind of funny because he made his suggestion on Twitter of like, I think it was seven or eight different songs. And the songs were rated on a scale of Russ to Pete. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then, so we each have a style it seems
0: apparently so uh which was fantastic and actually from what i've heard spot on because this this was the uh <laughs> this was the song that was rated very highly on the rust scale <laughs> okay. so that's the one i picked first that's uh, <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah this is a song called save you uh, by a group called The Circus Underground. Uh, the album is 2010, 2010, and I'm not sure if it's actually an album or what, because there's actually only one track on Jamendo from this group on that album. So I don't know if they just gave it a name 2010 because that's when it re- was released, um, or if there actually is such an album. And maybe we'll find out about that by the end of the song. This is courtesy of Jamendo. I'm going to queue it up here, and uh, we'll be back in, uh, I don't know, three or four minutes when it's over. We'll see how this goes. Save You by Woo-hoo! Circus Underground from the album like Twenty Ten. That. Oh, cool. even you like that, so that's cool. I did.
1: The scale is no longer valid.
0: <laughs> the scale is invalid. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll just have to go through all the music um, just to see if it fits the scale he put for us.
1: Yeah, but, actually, that'd be interesting. <laughs> if we have no other suggestions, uh, let's do that. And if, if nothing else, uh, well, you know, every every other week or something. Sounds good. And it's and it's uh, you know listener content, so we're more than happy to, uh, uh, to publish it. Not publish it, but play it. <laughs> play it. Absolutely. All right,
0: well, let me jump back to Mike uh, N2HTT's question really quickly. I don't want to go into the whole licensing issue. He was wondering what he should publish his software as, what open source license he should use to make sure that it stays open. He thought he should use the GPL version 2 and i happen to agree the gpl version 2 is probably the best way to go to keep your software open some people would argue the gpl version 3 is better but honestly if you try to read the gpl version 3 i think you can get lost in it and i wonder if the legal ease in gpl version 3 might be overturnable or usable in some way that's unforeseen right now the gpl 2 the language is very simple it's very straightforward it's very direct And it's a copyleft license, which forces anything based on it to remain open and any derivative work to remain open, which is totally contrary to things like the BSD license, which can be easily commercialized. BSD license and MIT license allows your software to be forked and used for any purpose. GPL2, which is copyleft, doesn't allow for that. I would say, Mike, yes, if you want your software and its derivative work to remain open without all the confusion and the ridiculous legalese of the GPL3, then yes, GPL2 is the way to go.
1: It's very misunderstood, too, licensing, I find. It's, it's, an, it's, it's complex, and uh, it's misunderstood, and it seems that there's a lot of confusion out there as to, you know, how, how do you protect your stuff, basically? It's yours. You don't want anybody. Well, you do want everybody to have access to it, but you don't want somebody using it for evil, as it were.
0: Right. And there's no telling what people might do in the future with the licenses that exist now. But I think as far as creative works, um, Creative Commons is the best for keeping your stuff open and, you know, attributable to you and not commercialized if you choose not to let it be. And the GPL version 2 is the easiest way to make sure your software stays open and not commercialized, you know, if that's the way you want to go. I happen to agree, GPL 2 is the way to go. I'm sure if you asked 100 people, they would have 99 different ideas about it. Maybe 100. Maybe 100. I don't know if there are 100 different ways you can look at the GPL.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure there are. <laughs> well, there
0: probably are, that's true. Enough philosophy for one episode. Although oh, That I ha- wasn't too philosophical. I tried to keep it short. I have a feeling that, that issue will come up again sometime. So now we move on to announcements and feedback, and I have no announcements that I can think of. Does anyone else have anything they want to shout from the rooftops?
1: I uh, would like to... Shout out to my club, who uh, just had its uh, local ham fest, its annual ham fest, uh, which was a huge success uh, once again, thanks to the uh, participation uh, of all its members. Uh, so uh, we had about 800 people pass through the doors, which is a you know pretty big ham fest. There's over 100 tables that are rented. Uh, some of the clubs, uh, most of the individuals selling their wares. Uh, so always a good time. So uh, yeah, where to go? All right.
0: Sounds very good. And what's the...
1: Harrison was there.
0: What's the club and do they have a call sign?
1: Oh yeah, Victor Echo to Charlie Lima Mike, B2CLM, Le Club Radio Amateur de la Rive Sud de Montréal, Montreal South Shore Amateur Radio Club. Uh, has 74 members and has been going strong for, uh, is it about 42 years now, uh, continuously. So uh, yeah, kudos to you guys. Yeah,
0: that's very good. Very good to hear about that. Always love to hear about successful clubs.
1: Like every other club, uh, you know, people are, are getting on in years and, uh, uh, every once in a while, uh, members uh, leave us uh, for various reasons, but um, yes, they, they just you know keep on ticking, which is really cool it's, it's, I hear about a lot of other local clubs which are you know not too active uh, this and that. Uh, our club has a very active newsletter, which I think helps because a lot of members can 't make it to the monthly meeting all the time, so the newsletters keeps everybody in the loop uh, kind of helps uh, everybody stay cohesive and uh, yeah, it 's a very dynamic club, and uh, i 'm proud to be a member so uh, I, I encourage sorry everyone to uh take part in your local clubs in one way or another.
0: Absolutely. I highly encourage that as well, especially if you have a club that's, you know, open to new members and stuff because as we've discussed before, some of them are not.
1: Yeah, our our club is it kind of goes both ways. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't go both ways. But it's, <laughs> that's a different it's kind full, of club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of uh, you know, like like most of the hobby. It's full of of uh people who are uh, Not young, you know, people of a certain age. And people of a certain age tend to be very relatively closed, you know, um, or just set in their ways, I should say. Not closed. That's not the right word. I apologize. Very set in their ways. And some of them are just old curmudgeons, and some of them just look like old curmudgeons. And I remember the first time I walked into my club, uh, they, having all been together for many, many years, some of them, uh, they just kind of look at you like you're from the outside. But, you know, it's just like the you know, the, the old guy face, you know, just like kind of looking at you with suspicion and it, it makes you feel like really like you're an outsider. It's, it's almost creepy. So, you know, <laughs> I, I imagine that happens in a lot of clubs and I, I just encourage everyone to just get beyond that because once you get to know these people they're usually, you know, very friendly and, and willing to help. So uh, that was just my experience. I thought it was kind of humorous.
0: All right. Oh, and I do have an announcement actually. I just thought of one. <laughs> Yay. Um <laughs> the uh the link to the torrent files on the website, there was a uh, there's an RSS feed of torrent files. Um our episodes are bundled uh in MP3 and Aug format by year two thousand and eight through two thousand and fourteen. Uh that has been broken for some time, but now it is fixed. So if you have a torrent client and you want to download all of our episodes via torrent You can now do that and the the RSS feed on the website, uh, referenced by the link in the upper left-hand corner. Not the upper left-hand corner, but the upper part of the left-hand column is now working again. And I even have my own torrent tracker. I will make sure that this never happens again. The torrents will never go away. So there you go. If you ever wanted all of our episodes in MP3 and AUG format,
1: now you can get them via torrent. And go get them and listen to them all. That's right. Do that. And I say that without joking. It sounds like a joke, but that's actually how I listened to LHS when I first discovered it. It started from episode one and worked my way up to, I can't remember what, probably episode uh, 75-ish by the time I'd caught up. Uh, during my commutes there, so uh, it's uh, it's kind of interesting, and I've done that with a few podcasts, uh, and it's kind of interesting to listen to the progression, uh, you know, from podcasts from their very beginnings where they're usually you know quite crude and they're working out the kinks and trying to get used to whatever it is their format is, and uh, you kind of grow with uh, with the people, and, and you really learn to like them, and it's kind of interesting. And uh, what the most interesting anecdote I have from that, if I may, uh, is. Um, solder smoke when i first started listening to solder smoke they were on probably into their 50th or 60th episode by the time i started listening but i listened to one episode and figured oh, i'll go to episode one and, and start from scratch and uh so bill and and this other guy his name was mike and i can't remember mike's call sign started the podcast together and so i'm listening i'm listening and basically solder smoke started as just two guys having literally two guys recording their echoing. Conversations, Which were totally techno geek about how they would build different projects. And it was really interesting, really technical. And then right about episode 30 or 33 or so, uh, this gentleman, Mike, who was one of the co-founders of Solder Smoke, has this horrific car accident with his family while he's on vacation in, in Hawaii and, and passes away and not knowing this you know I'm listening and listening and then next thing you know it's like oh my god he died (laughs) I'm laughing but it's not funny but I mean by this time the gentleman had passed away you know it was probably like a year or a year and a half before and uh, it was just kind of a shock you know and so I I Jump onto the computer and I email Bill and I'm like, Bill, I'm I'm so sorry. I started from episode zero and I really got to like you guys and blah blah blah. And we had back and forth conversations about you know about this gentleman Mike who was really really nice guy and I was no longer part of the show. My two cents about podcasting. So not to say that if you're going to listen, hopefully that won't happen to me. You guys won't start from episode zero or 103 in my case. Start to like me and then I'll get hit by a bus next week and die. But- <laughs> Well, at we least I don't. I don't, I hope it doesn't.
0: I really hope it doesn't too. I don't want to wish that upon you. So
1: <laughs> 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 I'm far enough away, I don't have to worry.
0: Ah, uh, it's a butterfly effect, though. You never know. So with that, I guess we should move on to feedback. We have a, a few bits of feedback. The first one is from Ben Shram, who we did an episode with uh, back in uh, what was it, number one thirty one, one thirty two, something like that. Uh, we interviewed him. Yeah, uh, He said, just passed my foundation amateur radio exam. He's uh, in Australia, by the way, uh, and practical. So in about five to six weeks, I'll be on the air with call sign Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot, Bravo, Golf, Sierra. Uh, just now need to buy a radio and other parts. Uh, so that's very cool. He uh, passed his exam. He's got his foundation license, BK6FBGS. Uh, and he's actually in the chat room tonight. So congratulations, Ben. That's very cool. And I hope to get to work you on the air someday. That would be a lot of fun.
1: I was actually listening to somebody talk today. Where was I? I was listening to some guys on the one of the local repeaters on one of the local stations talking about um, how uh, there was some uh, aurora borealis activity uh, recently. And he turned his beam into it. And he worked, uh, this is from here, from here in Quebec, uh, worked Australia long path uh, on some hf frequency he didn't mention what band he was on so uh uh very very fitting so it's very possible that you might work uh ben if you uh, point your beam into that direction
0: well if i had a beam i would point it but i don't <laughs> i use a dipole <laughs> so uh, i can't rotate a dipole do anything. in another context that would sound really odd <laughs> <laughs> We also got a tweet a little while back from Doug Jones, November 6th, Lima Mike X-Ray. That's uh, at Limax 7 on Twitter. Uh, He says, welcome back. It's great to hear you and Pete again. Not quite through the episode yet. I assume he was talking about uh, 132, but I am enjoying the content. Well, that's great, Doug. Glad to hear from you. And uh, he was one of the guys we interviewed a few episodes back. So thanks for that. And uh, this is just to let you all know that if you want to send us a tweet, you know, at LHS podcast, we do get those too. Uh, so super simple way to send feedback to the show. We got a comment on episode number 133 from Johnny Kinsey who says, I'm so glad to hear you're back. I too have tried CQR log and I like it better than the logging in FL Digi. Also, I kind of like your new format. Ah, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good. I love the uh, resounding endorsement there. He kind of likes the new format. I've actually heard some positive uh, comments about the format change. So this is good. I like it. At least no one's come out and said, this is the worst thing ever.
1: Well, that, that'll come, but for now. <laughs> yeah, good. but for now, we're good. <laughs> That's right. Not uh, everyone's going to like it.
0: Can't please all the people all the time. So uh, we also got another comment from Johnny on episode number 134. Uh, he laughs uh, in text, as uh, people sometimes do. He says, that is one of the funniest songs I have ever heard. This was in reference to last episode, Gambler's Prayer by Jonathan Colton. He said, Mike, I checked out your blog, and I noticed that. We
1: gotta know when, to hold- <laughs> know when to- Oh, no, not that one. Sorry. Not
0: that one, no. And that one's copyrighted, so shh. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me. Uh, I checked out your blog, and I noticed that you're learning Morse code, a.k.a. CW. Unfortunately, you don't allow comments on your blog. However, I figured I would tell you here. ARRL gives a code proficiency certificate that can be found here. Uh, That link will be in the show notes. This was in reference to our interview last episode with Mike Medaniok, Victor Alpha 7, X-Ray X-Ray Mike. So we'll post a link to that if Mike wants to check out getting a uh, code proficiency certificate for his good work in CW. Uh, He also says, uh, he being Johnny, also says, this has been another awesome episode and I'm still liking the new format of the show. Cool, two thumbs up from the same guy. I'm glad you're liking the new format. I'm actually liking the new format too because it allows me to edit the podcast quicker to get it out quicker. So anytime we actually have time-sensitive information, you get it in a time-sensitive fashion, which was not the case prior. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate the comments. Two more bits of feedback. The first one is an email from Mike Maydaniuk, aforementioned Mike Maydaniuk, Victor Alpha 7, X-ray X-ray Mike. He says, hey Russ, just wanted to send a quick thank you note for the interview on the last episode. I managed to listen to the podcast last week. Turned out better than I thought, even if I ironically said Bill Gates was the guy I'd like to talk to on a Linux podcast. Uh, The interview has inspired me to get back to work on some more YouTube videos. Anyways, thanks again and keep up the good work. Cheers, Michael. P.S. If anyone is interested for the show notes, my blog is at http colon stroke stroke may daniuk, that's Mike Alpha Yankee, Delta Alpha November India Uniform Kilo-lounge.blogspot.ca. And of course, that will be in the show notes, and we're going to have a link to it on the website as well. Uh, so go check out his blog. Oh, and thanks for the interview and the donation. Thanks for all of those things. Maybe you can donate next year when we uh, do the whole thing all over again, because <laughs> uh, we're about to ramp up for that. Because it's getting close to the end of the year already. Can't believe how time flies. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. Shh, 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 shh. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's a secret. Yeah. Now yeah, we'd like to keep it a secret, but yeah, can't do that. Uh, we also have a voicemail from uh, Scott Pettigrew, November eighth, Victor Sierra, India, and uh, I will go ahead and push the button and play that here.
3: Well, hello Russ and Pete. This is Scott N8VSI, November 8, Victor CR India. Doing a couple things here. Number one, you keep on asking for a uh, Linux, the uh, Linux able uh, contest logger, and number two, you wanted to get more messages for the show. Thought I would fulfill this in both ways. It is possible to get the Nancy One Mike Mike contest logger running under Linux, and there is a very good little. Um, primer on doing this that was written by ian khan kilo mike for india kilo and uh, i've made a tiny url for it and you can find that at http colon stroke stroke tiny forward slash nancy one mike mike dash wine that's whiskey india november echo so anyhow just thought i'd drop that in your lap give it a try see how she works and uh Maybe it will be a great thing for all of us Linux users who'd like to use our computers for contesting under Linux. 7.3s and 8VSI.
0: I do know that when I go to, or that I should say, when we go to Hamvention and we talk about contest loggers, the November 1 Mike Mike logger is the one that comes up most often as one that people would like to replace uh, with a native Linux application. But of course we don't have anything to suggest because there isn't a really good Linux native contest logger that we are yet aware of. YFK test is one, uh, but it's not super good and certainly not as good as November one, Mike, Mike. So, uh, this could be interesting and I'm going to check this out and I will hopefully be able to report on it by the time the next episode rolls around because I would really would like to be able to say that there is a good contest logger you can use under Linux, uh, even if it's using an emulator. Thanks again, Scott and 8VSI for leaving us a voicemail. We'll tell you all how you can leave a voicemail later on when we get to the closing bit of the show. All right, I think we're down to the bottom of the list of feedback. We're down to the best segment of the show right now, segment number five. It's Cheryl's Recipe Corner.
1: Yay! Yay. I always look forward to this. I do. <laughs> so, no, I'm serious. I think everybody I does.
2: look forward to it.
1: Food is good.
2: Well, okay, that's true. But the thing is, I, I picked something this time that may not actually be something doable for people across the world.
1: I going to say it may not be good.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's good, except Russ doesn't like them. I love them. When I've had cookie swaps, everybody else has loved them. Russ is not a big fan. Of course, the only type of cookie that Russ likes is actually chocolate chip cookies.
1: Well, those are the best kind.
2: Well, yes, I know. And these are kind of the lazy way to do them, but they're just not as good. So, But if you want to do red velvet cookies or something like that, these are excellent. But it's also quick and easy and lazy. (laughs) So, anyway, since it's getting close to Christmas... I've decided to share a recipe that I've made for the last thirty plus years, and that just aged me severely. Um, that's great as a hostess gift, perfect for a cookie swap or something to whip up for your last-minute guests. Or a cookie if-
1: swap, come on! When you make cookies, you got to keep them off for yourself.
2: No, 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 no! <laughs> swap them with people. <laughs> Russ's co-workers really like it when we have a cookie swap, because Russ ends up going back to work with dozens of cookies. So, but anyway, they're cake mix cookies. Uh, the recipe will be in the show notes. Um, and it's just a box of cake mix, which I'm not exactly sure in Europe if you can actually get things like Pillsbury or Betty Crocker or Duncan Hines cake mixes. I I do Wilton cake decorating, and I'm on a few Facebook groups, and sometimes people from, you know, London will pop up and say, hey, what is a cake mix? So I'm not exactly sure how far this will stretch outside the United States. Do you have cake mixes in Canada, Pete?
1: Oh, yeah. We have all those. Okay, good. Sharon, Sharon actually <laughs> makes... Um, Cookies. My my wife makes cookies out of um out of cake mixes and they usually turn out pretty good and they are quick. Like when she wants to take a shortcut, they're they're yeah. a great way to do it. And yeah. and you have that homemade feel to them too.
2: Of course. Because anything that we do is homemade.
1: Homemade right? from a box. <laughs> uh, well no, but you you just it, it's it's just a shortcut. If you're mixing the powders and, you know, you're mixing your flour and your, all your dry ingredients, basically what you're doing is buying a box of pre-mixed dry ingredients and still making the cookies. Yeah,
2: and it, it takes less time because, you know, with chocolate chip cookies, you've got to whip together your butter and your sugar and all that. And you don't have to do that with cake mix. So, so yeah, it's, it's a lot quicker and a lot easier. So it, it works if you've got, you know, a sweet tooth thing going at 10 o'clock at night. You can have cookies in about 20 minutes. So, And over the weekend, we made caipirinhas, which are the Brazilian national cocktail. And Russ actually did a video of me making them, and they're on his YouTube channel, which, again, will be open in the show notes for everybody to look at.
0: And by the way, caipirinhas are very good. So if you've not had one, you should definitely watch the video and make some. Uh, They do require a very specific kind of Brazilian rum, however, Which may be very expensive in your part of the world, wherever you happen to be from. It's actually rather expensive in our part of the world, too. And I think we have some of the cheapest liquor anywhere. For a drink that has minimal ingredients and is very, very tasty, you can't go wrong with a caipirinha.
2: No, that's very true. Especially when you add strawberries or something to it. Very good.
0: You can use all kinds of different fresh fruit. We tried blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, and apple. Apples. That's very cool mix cookies i'm not real big on those but hopefully that'll work out for somebody but i am real big on caipirinhas and you're drinking the national cocktail of brazil how cool is that how often do you get to drink a national drink i wonder if the united states has a national drink that's what i
2: was just wondering
0: bourbon whiskey
2: well that makes sense
0: uh that's not a cocktail though that's That's a national
2: cocktail it's just a booze yeah it can still be a cocktail just add some ice
0: yep that's true and you can mix a lot of crap with bourbon uh, I'm telling That's you right, right now.
2: We do that frequently.
0: We do. Lushes that we are. Now you get to read through our uh, social media roundup.
2: Woohoo! Yay! All righty. Yay! 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 <laughs> 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 In our donations subs- and subscriptions category, Steve Conklin did a monthly subscription. Thank you, Steve. Nobody liked us on Facebook. I'm very sad about that. Google Plus was the Beginner's Radio Workbench, and William Turner on Twitter we had mpd digital straight red band 57356 randy 2781500 simrand 29216474 handfinder not claw 2 which is a friend of ours and do5 dos nobody joined the mailing list nobody jumped on our youtube channel And nobody bought anything. So, see, I told you it
0: was going to be quick. Yep, quick. We're already done. We're through it. Yay. Uh, But thanks, everybody, who joined, subscribed, or otherwise contributed to this episode of the show. We appreciate each and every one of you. All right, there we go. So, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This has been episode number 135 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, It's been fun to be with you all again tonight. So uh, please go and check out our website, lhspodcast.info. You can become an LHS ambassador there. You can find out about upcoming events and how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. We have an IRC channel. You can go in there at any time. It's on the free node network. It's hash podcast. And uh, when we do the live show, we're in there talking with you guys as well. Uh, subscribe to the mailing list if you get a chance. Buy some of our merchandise if you get a chance. CafePress.com slash LHS Podcast or Printfection.com slash LHS Podcast. You can also help support the show by clicking on the sponsored links on the right-hand side of the page. LHSPodcast.info. We broadcast the show live on our IceCast server every other Monday, 8 p.m. Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0200 Zulu. That's uh, early in the a.m. for those in Europe. Uh, Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that at one nine zero nine LHS show. That's 1-909-547-7469 And as always, the email address is info at lhspodcast.info So thanks everybody for tuning in to another show, and uh, I hope we see you again in two weeks' time. Don't forget to uh, send us all your feedback. To participate in the show when you can, uh, and we hope you all enjoy. So for Cheryl. And for Pete, V2XPL, uh, this is Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting from between the peaks in the pine forests of north-central Arkansas. And we'll see you all again in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. Take care. Vodka.